Well, welcome again to All Nations Church here in Bedford. And again, as we say this every week, wherever you've joined us from, we are so, so pleased that you're with us. We may have to do things differently right now, like things like these broadcasts and online catch-ups, but our calling and our heart is to be an authentic family of God. And so we would really love to connect with you and help you become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to say hi on the online chat right now or get in touch with us through our website or social media platforms. Do you know, you can even give us a call. We do still do that, but we would so love to help you on your journey with Jesus. We're continuing our journey through the book of Exodus, the story of God rescuing his people from slavery and oppression, delivering them by mighty signs and wonders into his glorious freedom. And of course, not just to be free, because freedom without purpose really is not true freedom, but freed to be his treasured people, his precious sons and daughters, through whom he will bring salvation and deliverance to all nations. And you know, we get caught up in this story. It may have happened thousands of years ago, but it speaks to us today and it leads us to Jesus and we get caught up in a new exodus and a new deliverance in him. And so today I get the privilege of finishing off the plagues and in particular looking at the 10th plague, the plague on the firstborn. And in a moment, we're going to read chapter 11. But before we do that, I want to ask a question. What is the purpose of these plagues? You know, you can read about all the plagues from Exodus 7 through to Exodus 12, and I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. But what on earth is God doing in turning the Nile into blood, sending frogs, gnats, and flies by the bucket load, followed by plagues on livestock, festering boils on bodies, Hail that is so heavy it kills cattle and destroys buildings. Locusts that decimate the harvest. Darkness so thick you can actually feel it. And death so widespread that every household knows that the angel of death has passed over. What's going on? Well, this is God's response to a Pharaoh who has set himself up as God over Egypt, as one who has questioned the sovereign right of Almighty God to have rule and dominion over his life, and indeed all life. And so when Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and declare God's words, let my people go, he arrogantly responds, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Who is the Lord? that I should obey him. Do you know what? That is such a contemporary question. To use the technical term, it's a very postmodern thing. You see, we live in a culture where nobody gets the right to tell me what I should do and whom I should follow. I'm the one who gets to pass judgment on anything that demands my loyalty or allegiance or determines my behavior. Oh yes, I'm happy to tolerate there being a God, as long as he doesn't tell me what to do and I get the right to determine which bits I agree with and which bits I don't. And you see, when Pharaoh 
sets himself up against the Lord. And we read about that in chapter 5. There can only be one outcome, judgment. There can only be one winner, the Lord Almighty. And in these 10 plagues, we see how the Lord totally demolishes all the gods that were worshipped by the Egyptians. Gods of the Nile. Richard last week talked about Happy, the god of the Nile. She wasn't very happy after the, the blood hit the Nile. Gods that symbolized fertility, livestock's fruitfulness, gods of health and prosperity, even gods of light and gods of death. These were all worshipped. Even Pharaoh, who was worshipped as a god himself, all of them are shown to be powerless and no god at all as these plagues, one after the other, demolish, demolish all these gods. Now, you know, our gods might not be symbolized any longer by statues that have men's or women's bodies with animal heads on top, as they were in Egypt. And you can see many of those still, if you go to Egypt, to the pyramids and around. But we look to the gods of things like money and materialism and work to, to bring ourselves into wealth, the God of wealth. We sacrifice our bodies and riches on the altars of leisure and pleasure and sport in pursuit of health and happiness. We make sex and how we carry that out a right and a means of identity. We worship daily at the altar of all these things. They're our gods. And these things of which many were created as good gifts from God, we've taken and perverted. Instead of worshipping the creator, we now worship his stuff. What was so powerful to me to see was when this virus pandemic first broke upon our world, just those six, seven months ago, probably longer in some places. All those gods that I've just mentioned were challenged and shaken in an instant. What we relied on was shown to be flimsy and poor saviors. And many were, and indeed still are, looking for answers. Are you one of them? Are you still looking for the answers? Trying to make sense of how our world could be so shaken right now and, and where, where stability and, and life is found? Well, this passage tells us the answer. It is found in the Lord Almighty. He is the Lord of all the earth. He's the one that we should turn to and follow with all our heart, mind and strength. He is the Lord and we should obey him. And if you get nothing else out of this morning, I want you to hear that. He is the Lord of all the earth and we should obey him. We're going to turn now to read from Exodus 11 and I'm delighted to ask Nikki Stathers to read it to us today. Nikki. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt 
by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Well, thanks so much, Nikki. This chapter is actually a continuation of the conversation following the plague of darkness in chapter 10. And Moses says these things to Pharaoh before leaving his presence, hot with anger, so we're told. But let's be honest, passages like this disturb us, don't they? There's lots of death of people, animals. And as we go into chapter two, there's, a, there's lots of blood splattered everywhere. Why is the Lord demanding so much blood? Then there's hard questions like, what does it say that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he wouldn't let the Israelites go? It could seem that God is setting Pharaoh up so that he can judge and punish him. How does this line up with the God of love and compassion and mercy and goodness that we read of in the Bible? Well, let's try and humbly seek the Lord for some answers into these big big questions. So firstly, how does this line up with the God that we know is loving and compassionate and good and gracious in every way? You know, later on in the book of Exodus, Moses has the most amazing encounter with the Lord. In Exodus 34, the Lord passes before him and reveals to him his glory. And we read this, of how the Lord reveals his name and his character. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, God is utterly loving. But that love is a pure and holy love. Not only does it bring goodness and compassion and healing, it is also powerful enough to protect and to put right that which is wrong and to deal justly with anything that seeks to destroy and corrupt his ways and his people 
and yes, even his world. Now, you know, this might seem deep, but perfect love has to have the power to act in wrath and judgment against that which is wrong if it's going to be that perfect love. I know this is a really poor illustration on many levels because of just who I am compared to who Almighty God is. But let me tell you this, the moment that Ginny and I were married, the moment I held my children in my arms for the first time, the love I felt was overwhelming. But I also knew, I knew in that moment that, that I would give my life to protect and look after these precious ones. And by the way, I still will. My love is far from perfect, but I know that if it means anything, I will sacrifice all to keep my loved ones safe and uphold their well-being and to put right that which is wrong. How much more? The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one that we read about in this book, the Bible, and who we encounter in our lives. How much more is he perfect in love and righteousness? And how much more will he deal with all that is offensive and destructive to his ways and his people? You see, justice and judgment don't make him less loving. They make him perfect. And we've seen, haven't we? God hears the cries of his people suffering. He's moved to rescue them. And you know, what we see him doing is delivering them from a nation that has committed infanticide and genocide against them. Little boys thrown into the Nile, given to the crocodiles. We see them being beaten and systematically wiped out almost. And what is seen here in the final plague? Is God bringing his justice against a nation that has grossly sinned? Hey, just hear those words. Against a nation that has grossly sinned. We need to take note of that. We all want to know justice. And we all want to know it rightly appropriated. Except, of course, when we're personally on the end of it. (laughs) I just was reminded this, just even this week, I was walking down one of the roads to where... But nearby where we live, and a car literally flew down the road. It must have been doing 60 miles an hour. It was just outrageous. And you know, I felt anger inside. I really did. And I was thinking, I hope that person gets caught. But then I just reminded myself, I speed. And I'm deceived if I think that my speeding is somehow not as bad as that. You see, All of us want justice and don't want justice all at the same time. We also need to understand something about this 10th plague. It is the 10th plague. It's not the first plague. The judgments that God has built have come at each time with an opportunity for Pharaoh and Egypt to repent. In fact, there are are times when He seems to have changed his mind, although we know it was never a true repentance, and God relents. Do you know what we need to see? That it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And we need to heed this, and we need to repent of any rebellion and disobedience that's in our heart. Secondly, what about this? This passage reveals to us the real seriousness of sin. 
You see, sin isn't just a few silly things that we've done that can be ignored. Sin is rebellion against God. And it is so serious because of the greatness of the one that we're rebelling against. You know, in most countries, the severity of a crime depends not just upon your actions, but also who you are committing the crime against. You know, hitting anybody is bad, but, you know, hitting the queen, I I can't even imagine trying to do such a thing. But I I guess that would land you in jail for a long, long time. Because sometimes the seriousness of the offence depends on the one against whom it takes place. And God is the one who made us and gave us life. Some choose not to believe that, but you know, he is. And he continues to give us life. He continues as our creator. And we've acted as rebels towards him. And you know, sin cannot be passed over or not dealt with. And the Bible makes it very clear. It has a punishment or a wage. There's a cost to it. We've all probably read this verse. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. It also goes on. Praise the Lord. There is some good news to come, by the way. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But you see, sin brings that consequence of death. The moment sin entered the human race through Adam and Eve, death was the judgment, physically, spiritually, and eternally. That's why blood has to be shed. Not because God is bloodthirsty or vindictive, but because the shedding of blood meant the cost of a life. The shedding of blood shows the cost of sin. It's payment. It really does have to be that way. Now, hold in there. Seriously, the good news is coming. But listen, we can only come into the good news by firstly understanding the cost and seriousness of sin. All of us need to know the cost. Thirdly, I just want to say a little bit about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and then we'll, we'll come into land. Richard talked on this a little bit last week, and I thought he did a great job with that. But you know, it can seem to us that Pharaoh didn't have a chance as God had set him up to be judged. But when we look at Pharaoh through the plagues, and you can read right from the beginning, we see that he is the one who initially hardens his heart. In fact, in the first five plagues, it's Pharaoh that is described as hardening his heart towards God and towards what he says. Only after that do we read God hardened his heart. Now look, there's great mystery here. In fact, some things we're we're never fully going to get our heads around. But it seems the Bible is happy to assert two powerful things. Firstly, God is sovereign over all things. And so his will and purposes will prevail. At the same time, humans, people like you and me, we have free will. And we are given the dignity of choice in response to the ways of God. That's quite an amazing thing. And the Bible holds those two things together in a tension that is really uncomfortable for us because we like it neat and tidy. 
but it would seem to be this way. God's will will always prevail, but we will always be given the ability to choose. And listen, this is, this is, the, this is the challenge. If we continue to choose ways against the Lord, he will give us what we want. He will turn us over to what we keep asking for. And do you know what? We need to learn from this. If we keep choosing against the Lord, he will give us what we want and allow our heart to harden against him. Don't go there. Do you know some of you right now, I'm going to say some of us, because I think it's true for all of us, are in that place where we're so hurting and we've become so so in pain by things that have happened that we're making choices right now that are really not good choices. And the truth is, we need to choose what God says, not what seems to be in our heart right now, which is away from the Lord. And I just want to appeal to some of you right now, change direction. Don't let any root of bitterness get into your heart in such a way that it hardens it against everything that God is doing. We need to learn that God doesn't harden our heart before we have made choices to actually go against him and his ways. Wow, that's sobering, isn't it? That's really sobering. But now, the good news. And I want to land with this. Now, the dawn of deliverance, as I'm calling it. This is the night before the dawn of deliverance. In all of this seemingly hard stuff of sin and judgment, there is a way through that brings blessing and deliverance to those that will receive it. That's amazing news. Through the death of the firstborn in Egypt or the death of a lamb without blemish, God brings deliverance and freedom and forgiveness to his people. Next week, we're going to look at the Passover. It's going to be great. But we just need to note something about this final plague. In all the other plagues, Moses and Aaron played their part in making something happen. But in this final plague, it wasn't Moses or Aaron. This was God who acted. The judgment of God through this plague, came upon Egyptian and, yes, Israelite alike. All were under this judgment as the angel of death came across Egypt. All were guilty, including Moses and Aaron themselves. But they were preserved because they put themselves under the instructions and the covering of the blood of a lamb put on the sides and the tops of the door frames. So the angel of death, when it saw the blood, passed over them. This was to be a defining moment for the people of God for all time. In fact, it's still celebrated. We still remember these things, but, but it points to an even greater moment of redemption and freedom because it points forward to Jesus. This looks forward to another greater death of a firstborn and a greater death of a lamb without blemish that would pay the price of sin for all the world for all time. It would open the door for all those covered by the death of this firstborn and the blood of this lamb 
to be free forever. It would pay for our freedom, for my freedom, for your freedom. Because you see, Jesus Christ is the firstborn, the only begotten of the Father who dies in our place. And Jesus Christ is also the lamb without blemish that was slain. He fulfills it all. This is, this is an amazing story for us. This is good news for us because even in his dealing with sin, there's mercy. God in his love and mercy, in his grace and compassion, steps in to pay the price himself for what we have done and the rebellion that we have been part of. Church, those watching in, it's wonderful grace and love. On the cross, love and justice meet, paid in full by Jesus Christ, the eternal force, firstborn of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And you know, when he does this, he does a thorough job. You don't just get delivered by the skin of your teeth. You don't just get out of Egypt, as it were. You get sent out, driven out almost. And guess what? You plunder the enemy as you do. Did you read all that stuff? Hear that stuff about silver and gold and the Egyptians being favorably disposed towards the Israelites? That's God doing a thorough job. That's God not just delivering you, but, but plundering the enemy as he does. And, and I just felt as I was preparing this, that there are some of you right now that need to hear this, that there's a victory coming in the Lord that isn't just coming to deliver you, but it's gonna turn around all the circumstances of your life and will bring massive blessing and breakthrough. You will plunder Egypt. You will plunder the enemy. I just want to prophesy that over you right now and for you to receive that. But right now, it's time for us to respond. It's been a hard message today, but it's a message of hope that leads us in kindness to repentance and to celebrate the blessings of God. Just want you to stand where you are or maybe even more appropriately, maybe kneel. But whatever you feel comfortable doing just in response. I just feel the Lord would challenge us to examine our hearts and to know that he loves us, but he, he needs us to turn from sin. And some are playing with fire. Some are playing with the things that they know are wrong. And God would say, come on back. Some of us have found this time really tough and we've drifted away and we're now worshiping other gods. And I believe there's some who are watching you maybe haven't watched for a little while and you're worshiping other gods and God will take them down. But he wants you to bow and come back to him and let him lead you into that freedom. Some of you just need to come back to your first love 
and to repent of turning away from him. But you know, there's some of you here today who've never heard this before. You didn't even know that this was where you were. But this is great news because it means right now there is an invitation of salvation and deliverance for you that you can step into and you can know the freedom of God. So right now, why don't you just put your hand out and say, Lord Jesus, I I want you to deliver me from my sin. I want your blood to cleanse me from every offensive way. I want to repent of everything that I have done. And I want to come into this life, this freedom that you bring. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I have been set free. Guys, thank you so, so much for listening this morning because anything that you know you need to respond to, we're, we're here to help you with that. We'd love to pray with you. Some of you I know need some help with some of the things I've raised this morning. Why don't you just type in, come and contact us and we'll be there to help you on your journey. The Lord bless you.